EFTM Tech Cars Lifestyle This is the EFTM Podcast with Trevor Long EFTM Thank you for listening, thank you for downloading, great to have your company uh, before a couple of weeks in Europe and America during which unless I open up my phone and talk to a voice note and just want to rant and rave there won't be a podcast, so we'll be back mid-September um, after the iPhone launch. So just word of warning, I'll go missing for a bit. But in that time, throw me your questions because, as I've said before, what I do is I the EFTM website spits out to me every Tuesday all the emails I've received since the last podcast. So when I do sit down in mid-September and say, let's do a show, all your emails will be there. So I'll be able to call everyone who's been in touch and see if you'll answer and have a chat about things going on in the world of tech, whether you've got a question about technology, a problem with technology, you want to go through, whatever it might be. Uh, all of that um, still to come. Um, but no calls this week because I want to, I've got, I was originally just going to have the one interview and then something else came up. So I'm just going to do them both here. Sure, I could have spread them out and pretended to do episodes every week, but no, just value, value pack this. I'm going to talk to John O'Lee or Jonathan Lee, I should call him, he's a respected journalist. Uh, at Sky News, um, I've known John O for a very long time since we both worked at 2GB. He went on to Channel 10 and then Sky News and different things. Um, and he's got a documentary out next week on artificial intelligence on Sky News. And it sounds amazing. So we'll talk to John O about what it is, what he investigates, who he talks to, and whether or not he's scared about AI and whether or not we should be scared about AI uh, a little bit later on. So that's that's all to come. And we had a call last week from uh, from David, I think it was, who was traveling the highways. It raised questions about highway mobile coverage. So we will talk about that as well. Chana Senevaratni will be with me. He's from Telstra. He's the man in charge of all the big um, network towers and networks generally. Um, and he's going to talk me through what's happening on the highways, whether there is any issues, uh, and more importantly, what, what the future holds. Where are we going? How does the coverage look? What's 3G going to be replaced by and all those things. And also just some tips. So if you are out on the roads, what sort of things you can do to make sure you are getting the best of the network that's available to you. So we'll talk to Channa uh, shortly and uh, get his sense on on not just David's call, but generally the atmosphere. And I've also followed up with Amazon about Peter's call, um, about his delivery and whatnot. So we'll get to all of that um, in a moment. Uh, most importantly, though, any questions, any issues, any things going on, just get in touch. Go to the website, eftm.com, um, and we will try and help you out as we go. Now, something we've been talking about a lot over the last year, and I feel like in part it's a buzzword, and I think most people know my view on the using buzzwords like artificial intelligence I don't think it's a great thing to jump on the bandwagon of, but there's genuine artificial intelligence really in the world now. So we've moved from being a TV company saying this TV has artificial intelligence built in, which it doesn't because your TV is not thinking for itself. But yes, it was built using AI to train the models, to make it understand how to make SDTV look good in 8K and all that stuff. But in the real world, think chat GPT, think robots, think, oh my God, where is this going? And it's a fascinating space. It is both interesting, fascinating, and potentially dangerous. And I think that's the uh, that's the one that worries people. Where's it going to go and how much control do we have over it? Well, next week on Sky News, there's an investigation called Artificial Intelligence Investigated. And 
It's being hosted and investigated by their investigative reporter, Jonathan Lee, who I've known for a very long time. Jonathan joins me on the line. G'day, mate. How are you doing? Trevor Long, long-time listener, first-time podcaster. <laughs> it's, uh, we go back uh, many careers ago, for each of us, really. Yeah. Um, yes. you've, you've been plenty of places and I've been same, but you're now working at Sky News and they've obviously ha- – t- talk to me first from a you know inside baseball point of view. How does a uh, – do you call this a documentary or an investigative special? How does that come about? Because in the real world, they just want you out reporting every day. So how do you get the leash to do this? Uh, tremendously fortunate in some regards. We've got a an investigations team now. We do uh, not just your normal five to seven minute stories, sort of what you might see, uh, like on a current affair, looking at um, at issues and problems. We also do mini specials. We did a Queensland youth crime one, which was a, about thirty minutes of television, looking at problems up in the Sunshine State. Um, and a number of times a year, Sky goes all in, puts all the chips in the middle of the pot and says, let's let's do a documentary on this. So mm. it might be what happened in Wuhan. It might be China rising, Taiwan. Uh, and I said to the boss, um, I said, I really think we need to take a huge look at, at AI, artificial intelligence. He said, um, put some information on a piece of paper, come back to me. Uh, and then he came back to me and said, all right, um, start making some phone calls. Who are you going to talk to? And then you start looking as high up the tree as possible. I said at one stage, I think we need to phone and get in contact with Jeffrey Archer, the author. Uh-huh. He said, why? I said, well, he's a man who I think he's written 27, 28 novels. He still writes everything by hand. That's with a pen. Somebody types everything up and then he edits them by edits it with a pencil, 14 drafts. Hmm. Um, he's a man who barely knows how to type, barely knows how to use a computer. And I sat down and I showed him chat GPT. His chin hit his chest and he couldn't believe what it could do and how quickly it could do it. That's remarkable. So you were actually like literally about to watch his face react the first time he saw that. Because in reality, I guess it's had a lot of news coverage, talked about it a lot, but mm. it, it is still very far from being mainstream. I think most people haven't mm. even asked it a single question. And let, let's talk about it from a positive perspective. It's remarkable what it can do in terms mm. of spitting out information, but it's it's learned, which is the genuine term. It's learned this from the internet. And the language by which it can it can output because you can tell it to speak in the in the tone of a British aristocrat, or you could tell it to speak in the tone of a seven year old child, and it does that. It is well, remarkable. Yeah. Jeffrey Archer is is a wonderful case study. I, I think of him a bit of like you know the, the forgotten tribesman. Um, he he wasn't almost aware of what it was capable of. Mm. Uh, we sat down at his penthouse in London. Uh, on the River Thames, I've never been to a more opulent place in my life. Just <laughs> incredible. I thought he'd be, I got warned he could be grumpy and difficult. I've never enjoyed an interview more. He was amazing. Wow. Uh, somewhere between, you know, uh, a Bordabillian character and Winston Churchill, he sort of lurched between the two. He was fascinating, engaging. Do you engaging. think that comes from it being the, intriguing to him and not being, you know, just another yeah, interview about yeah. a book? Completely, completely. And then we did we did the, the thing where he read us a 100-word short story that he'd written. I said, well, why don't we put it to chat GPT? And then what it spat out wasn't brilliant, but he couldn't believe that it's pace. And I said, let's do it again. And he said, again? Uh, and it did it in a second. And I said, pick a language. We converted it to French. And I said, let's turn it to a poem. And he put his head on his chest and pretended to sob. And um, he said, I'm glad I'm 83 and not 38. Yeah. And we 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 played a bit of a game with him before we started. 
I didn't know how he would be, but I turned to chat GPT and said, write me a Jeffrey Archer novel. Yeah. And I presented it to him and I said, this is written in your style. What risky, do you think of risky it? move. Yeah. I, dangerous because I, I gave him each page one at a time, not knowing how it was going to be received. Mm. And, and I said, I've also asked uh, AI to evaluate your strengths and weaknesses. <laughs> uh, and, it, and it was, um, it was, it was just, it was brilliant. And uh, we got an avatar to, to put a presentation to him and he was just gobsmacked, absolutely gobsmacked. What were his strengths and weaknesses? Well, uh, well, one point it said said cliches. Young man, everyone uses cliches. Well, I thought you'd avoid them like the plague, Jeffrey. Ha, 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 (laughs) pathetic but very clever. Pathetic but clever. And so I assume then you, you, you also go to the kind of the heart and soul of this AI revolution, Silicon Valley and those kind mm. of places. I've seen interviews with uh, the the dude that left Google because he was frustrated. I've seen interviews with people who do work in the field. So where did you get to in in the in the actual development field? We we spoke with Mo Gaudat, who is a, a former boss of Google X. That's their dream shot team. And we also, and we should come back to him, we also had a really good chat with a, a gentleman, an Australian gentleman called Thomas Graham, who is metaphysic behind the Tom Cruise deep fakes? Yes. Now working with Tom Hanks in Hollywood, yeah, right. uh, he's he says his his company is the world's most advanced in doing real time deep fakes. So what you can look at is Tom Tom Hanks acting without any makeup and at the same time on another screen, everything is being done to him and de-aged him. So we're looking at him at the age of you know mid twenties, uh, back when he was doing movies like Big. Uh, he is talking about, and I think your your listeners will be fascinated by this. What is this going to mean for you at home? Well, say for instance, you're an online shopper. You're going to have an avatar online, which will be look exactly like you with your exact measurements. It will try on clothes, and you'll be able to mix and match those clothes with what you've already got in your wardrobe. So forget bringing or buying lots of things, getting them sent to you, and then working out they don't fit. You will know immediately. He's talking about having conversations with your grandparents who have long passed. Mm. So they will be able to answer things because they all have underlying programs like ChatGPT, which will know their background story and how they think and feel about things, and it will talk to you. So you'll be able to say, um, you know, Nan, uh, here's my girlfriend, um, you know, oh, what do you think of her? And have conversations. That's the most uncomfortable I've felt about AI yet, yep. I reckon. And if you th- if you can imagine that, imagine what the future of going to uh, a graveyard will be like. You won't be looking at boring headstones. You'll be pressing a button, something will pop up, and you'll be able to talk to effectively that person. Uh, and they'll be able to have a conversation with you. Now, you might think this is just impossible but I promise you from what we saw, it isn't far off. You know, and you talk about Mogadat. I am so conflicted by that because I – What does it do for grief? I, I, you were, so <clears throat> just let me explore that in my own mind for a minute. But I think about that. My dad died before I was born, right? So I've been to his his, mm-hmm. his grave 50 times. I don't know, a lot. I go, I go it's, it's six hours drive away, but I still go there once or twice a year. And it's interesting because I just go and talk to myself. But imagine the idea of – talking to and getting responses from her. I think it would be polarizing, right? The thing that that I am, before we talk about Mo Gaudat, the, the thing that I'm fascinated most by is I think you might have got an insight into something that that most of us don't really see is coming. And this is why I'll, I'll be watching the doco with great interest. That idea of real-time deepfakes is the biggest potential revolution and concern, frankly, for society 
because you mm-hmm. won't know in real time if the person being interviewed on Sky News, the Today Show, whatever, is actually them because they might yep. be processing it through a camera and then through a processor and then outputting that to Zoom and you won't know who's on the other end. And that's then you add in voice and like it becomes pretty scary. Did you were you scared or, or put off by the idea of those deep fakes? Did it not just amaze you but also frighten you? A couple of points. My mind absolutely blown. And get this, uh, we were told that families who've already lost young children are coming to him, asking him to do it for them now. This isn't fanciful and in the future. We didn't have a chance to say goodbye to our son. Can you create an avatar version of him which can talk so that we can talk to him? It's happening now. So we also went to... We also went to Falmouth, uh, Cornwall Coast, south of England, and looked at the world's most advanced humanoid robot. I felt as uneasy in that moment interviewing a robot as I felt covering murder trials uh, and, you know, seeing things as a criminal reporter. Uh, It is deeply uneasy. And we've been told that, uh, you know, robots aren't necessarily, it's not Terminator 2, that's not the issue. but robots have, these humanoid ro- robots have the great ability, for instance, to work with the lonely, to work yeah. with your mum or dad who might be suffering dementia. Mm. They will have the sort of uh, understanding and ability to repeat the same thing or stay across their medication, patients that humans just, just don't have. That's a good um, point because in dementia, to, you think about yeah. the idea that we, we, even after a year of dealing with someone with dementia, you might get frustrated yourself by having to reintroduce yourself. Well, Imagine a imagine a world where we discover that repetition actually helps, and not I'm not saying it reverses, but it helps. And maybe the the carer, the robotic carer, is actually able to, I don't know, plateau the demise, uh, different things like that. It, it could it could be game changing. Are you ready for a political discussion we haven't had yet? <laughs> Do robots have rights? Oh wow, yeah, well, no, because I tell you, I asked a robot, and it was very clear that it believed that humans and robots should coexist peacefully and that robots should be treated with respect and have rights. And it yeah. didn't take half a second to say that. Right. Wow. Robots. Okay, so that's a different world. So talk, let's talk about Mo Gardner because that's a man that worked at the top end of the field. Where's he at now and what is his belief around AI and humanity? He believes that – so he was there as – Effectively, Google was creating the next stage of artificial intelligence. That it was, you know, had these had these arms like you'd have uh, if you went out and, and played a children's game, bend down and pick up a toy, and they had sort of like a field of those, yeah. and they were watching and they were training them to pick up balls and objects, and they couldn't pick up any. And then one day he saw it pick up a yellow ball all on its own and turn around and show it to a camera. So it went upstairs and said, "You, well, you know, the millions of dollars we've spent on that, we went learned how to pick up a yellow ball, whoopie da." And then pretty soon it had taught it taught it taught itself to pick up every yellow ball and then every object. Um, and he's like, "Wow!" Uh, so he's very much of the opinion that AI offers an absolute utopia. The problem is, though, AI is corrupted by capitalism and it's corrupted by an arms race of nations and terrorists who will get their hands on AI and use it for their own devilish purposes. Mm. So it's not that AI is bad. What is bad in many regards is the capitalism that is being driven behind it. Because if North Korea has it, we need to have it. And we need to be in front yeah. of North Korea. And whoever is the most intelligent will, will have control of the planet. And, and Vladimir Putin and no, has said no that no one himself. government can control 
the rise of AI, all this talk of, you know, banning AI and even regulating it, it's like, that's great. Let's regulate it. But how do we regulate what they're doing in Kazakhstan? You know, let alone yeah. Russia and, and North Korea, right? So that's the let, biggest let challenge. Let alone a Kazakhstan boy's bedroom who is really intelligent and knows how to put things into a computer. Yeah, you and know, he, builds, he, he might build he, his he own AI model now. that simply scams the hell out of Aussies, um, let alone yeah. the, the Russians that build the one that, you know, takes over the world. I mean, that's the concern here is, I guess my the biggest question I've got then is, do you, where, I mean, is this half hour, hour, what are we talking about? How long's the doco? It's, it's, it's an hour, yeah. And how... Talk me through the journey. Do I, without spoiling it, do I do I leave myself with as many questions as I came in with? Because even now I'm thinking of more things that I'm I'm interested in, let alone worried about, than I ever would have been beforehand. So is that is that essentially the premise? You can't really resolve things for people. You can simply inform through the purpose of this doco. Yeah, look, we, we, you know, there's certainly a beginning, a middle, and an end here. I, I think, and not to take you immediately to the end, but we are at a point. It's fair to say where we're asking governments, what are they going to do yep. for for our safety and security? Uh, and and that is, you know, what are the guardrails that they're going to put in place? In America, they're talking about a Bill of Rights. The European Union's talking about something similar. Our government doesn't like the idea of a Bill of Rights, uh, but they're certainly in favour of a kill switch. How do you turn this off when something is so ingrained and ingratiated in your life? Mm. Um, and 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 the big thing is that the upcoming US election will be will be like ground zero, uh, working out what is real, what is fake, the disinformation. And you're at home and you're thinking, well, I'm pretty savvy, right? Yeah. But the, the days of believing it when you see it are over. Yeah. Think about that. That's, that's, the that's exactly right. It. Whether it's a photo. See, today, believing what is written, who wrote it? Believing what a picture you yep. see, where was it created? And that's what I'm saying. You've already had a window. That Tom Hanks acting visual dif different representation you've had a window into the reality of video in the future and pair that with audio it, it's it's literally impossible to believe it's it's funny i've said to people before i think Jono, and you'd, you'd relate to this i think we go back to a point where mainstream media actually becomes more important than ever because you yeah. know um uh, the sydney morning herald won't put a photo on the front page if they don't know where it came from they can't source it mm -hmm. if they don't know who took it. Whereas, you know, someone on Twitter is just going to get it and post it. So we go, well, the newspaper becomes a more a reliable source of information. You know, Australian media is is regulated in such a way that Sky News, Channel 9, it's not going to be broadcast unless it is in some yep. way authenticated. And so I believe we get to a point in very probably very few years away, probably five years away, where what we see on what we go to is mainstream for the the news again do, do you do you see what i mean by that i completely agree uh, you need to be able to trust uh, and authenticate and there needs to be repercussions and consequences for those who break the rules mm. but i i think the big issue that i went in and i come out with and it's hard to fathom like it that doesn't even sit well with me are these things alive and when are they alive? Now we think, oh, that's just absolute nonsense. Can computers be alive? Well, what is fear? And if computers are able to experience uh, a sense of being concerned that something will happen, that the future is less, less safe than the present, well, that in effect is a version of fear. And if you are dealing with programs which are able to replicate and reproduce, and this is what we're creating, things that have their own free will and agency and the evolution and growth, and they are conscious, mm. 
what is being alive? It might not be the same as alive as a human sense, mm. but these things are certainly alive. And we're talking about programs which are not just more intelligent than, than humans. We're talking within a couple of decades than being millions of times yeah. more intelligent, trained on every piece of human data, yeah, yeah. able to be Machiavellian, uh, to know how to twist and use us to get what they need. They're not programmed with empathy. So they'll be able to, they'll be trying to achieve what is their end goal. Mm. And if they need to create sub goals to get to that end goal, they will do it. Right. So you're dealing with, forget the idea, the race is won and lost. We yeah. didn't even know there was a battle here. <laughs> Humans are no longer the most intelligent species on the planet. Yeah. I think it's fascinating that we're standing in London, famous for the Battle of Britain, not realizing there has been a battle being waged behind the scenes here of, of, of humanity. We are now, in effect, subservient to machines, and algorithms know us better than we know ourselves. Yeah. And they will decide. This is the thing. They will decide what conversations we have, not because they're in our head, but because, because that algorithm can us. twist. Yeah, yeah, will yeah. twist what is on your computer, what you see on Facebook, what you don't see, right? And then that starts a whole other discussion. And then what is programmed within those machines will determine what information is spat out, whether it says that is right-wing right wing extremism or merely middle of the road, whether this is a woke agenda and dangerous or whether this is just uh, a, a, a sensible, centred opinion. Mm. These things start to become what's called digital colonialism, right? And they will influence our minds and other countries perhaps who aren't more intelligent and will they end up creating or will they end up exa uh, exaggerating uh, the, the, the divide between uh, wealth and, and poverty, or will they end up making us more equal? I don't know, but I tell you what, I've got the got the shakes just talking about it. All right, I have one more inside baseball question before I tell everyone where to see it. I you, you've spent mm -hmm. you've spent a long time working on this. It's a one hour show. Yeah. How many hours yeah. of vision do you like? It's just like if I go away overseas and we shoot a silly little gadget story, and I think, man, we shot five hours of video <laughs> for a three minute story. How much? Do you have? Yeah. <laughs> and what do you do with it all? Because uh, remember, back in the day, you'd have a Blu-ray DVD extras and stuff. Like that interview with Jeffrey Archer, that's going to be a great part of the thing. But you would have spoken to him for a long time and only a part of it appears in the show. Are you able to put a lot of that on, on the Sky News YouTube and places like that? Or is there a way you're able to, I don't know, uh, get value out of that on in Sydney, the longer yeah. term? Yeah, in Sydney, uh, I, I'm currently based in Brisbane at the moment. I flew down to Sydney on Friday and we did what's called a top and tail. So we filmed something at the start and at the end and we I've clipped together the full Jeffrey Archer interview, two Excellent. parts of it. One when we're sitting down with him on that one after when we're in his study. Uh, and that will all be uploaded onto YouTube so yeah, people excellent. can watch it in full. I would like us like us also to be able to watch, everyone to watch the Mo that interview and also the Thomas Graham. Um, I think... Yeah, this is it's it's interesting for people across the world, not just not just no, Australians. Right. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, I mean, we've got we've got hours upon hours and things that are on the cutting room floor, which could all be breakout individual stories. And and what I think is important might not be what the executive producer thinks no, is important. Right. Yeah, yeah. And so yeah, that's, it's, that's um, the it's, it's fascinating. That's the beautiful thing about the internet today is we we can create choice for 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 consumers in that sense, and you could theoretically make it available in a lot of ways. So look, the bottom line mm, is that mm. it starts itself. Uh, it starts its life, I guess, um, for the public. It started its life some time ago for you, but it starts its life for the public on Tuesday, 29th of August, eight o'clock on Sky News Australia Eastern Time. Now, here's the beautiful thing about Sky News these days. 
Sure, you got Foxtel, great. You've also got Flash, which is an easy $8 a month subscription. You can get um, Sky News anytime you want in your pocket or on your TV. And then, like you got Samsung TVs. If you've got a Samsung TV with Samsung TV Plus on it, Sky News is there for free. It's wild. So, mate, you've got a potential here for a really great, engaged, large audience, and I, I hope that people do tune in for it. And then there'll be, obviously, replays of it, I'm sure, at different times of the week. But 8 o'clock, Tuesday night, and then uh, Sky News, YouTube for that. I'll be personally jumping on for that Jeffrey Archer thing. That sounds fascinating, Jono. So, mate, well done. Congratulations on the effort. I'm sure it's uh, uh, a really a proud moment for you to have something like this come out and be be produced like yeah. this. Um, and, you know, you've been working hard in the media for a very long time. So it's hopefully the start of something really interesting for you because this kind of stuff is is it's great to get your, your teeth into something. I'm assuming that's the best part of it, let alone the topic itself. Yeah, it's 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 been an absolute privilege. It's been, you know, you used to do news stories, which would, you know, you come and go each day, but to have something sitting in your head for a couple of months is mm. big. Uh, and as Mo Gaudat said to me, uh, and he's one of the people who's created artificial intelligence, as, as we now know it, he said, this is more pressing than climate change. Now, whether you believe in climate change or yep. not, it dominates government agendas. And if you've got a bloke who says, or who helped create where we're now at, saying this is more pressing than climate change, wow and believes that within 20 years we will have artificial general intelligence, which is the ability for AI to do every human job and be more intelligent than humans in every role within three to 20 years, it's worth thinking about where we're at as a society. Good luck. I look forward to watching it, mate. Thanks for having me. Whew. I told Jono we'd need 10 minutes. We talk for 20. So he's probably missed an appointment now. But, that, I mean, I'll be honest, I love the idea of AI. I'm happy to talk about it. But... I am all in on that. I can't wait to see it because I think there's things there that we haven't thought about. And I think there's uh, concepts there that are actually happening that we didn't realize. I mean, can you, the idea that a, a camera can be shooting someone and it can be seen as someone else or something else or a different age and all that stuff, that's the AI that's troubling. And then think about that last bit he said there, the general intelligence. So you know, weirdly, the first thing that came to my mind was law, lawyers. You know, with the greatest respect to lawyers, um, it's an intelligence based on study, right? So you study something, it's case law, it's all that, right? Well, imagine you have a case and you put in, you know, the court documents and you put in your turn of events and AI simply represents for you how the case should be won uh, based on case law and uh, precedents and things like that. I mean, it'll initially what will happen is it'll help lawyers, legal firms, paralegals will be aided by this and then paralegals won't be required and lawyers will just use this. So now, and you know, is there a time in 20 years where we simply have submissions through AI that someone makes a judgment on? And is that judgment being made by AI? Ooh, I don't think so. That's probably where we draw the line among many places. And controversial without question. Is this a bigger problem for the planet than climate change? Is the noise created around climate change the kind of noise we should have around AI? And should we be legislating and governing with that in mind? Whew, that wasn't quite what you expected to be, was it? You're listening to the EFTM Podcast. EFTM. This is the EFTM Podcast. EFTM Podcast. All righty. Well... From the concern of AI right to the concern of scams, we talked last week to Peter who uh, got in touch about 
an Amazon delivery he had and his experience uh, was interesting and we couldn't work out whether it was a scam or not. Uh, just to recap, um, Peter had bought a Netgear Orbi, so a very expensive system and it had on Amazon and it was being delivered. Now, if I didn't realize this, but for an item over $1,000, they they give you a, a code, a six-digit code, which you give to the driver to con- before they pass it over to you, which is their way of confirming that the driver's handing it to the actual person who purchased it. They're not going to leave it on your front doorstep. Um, but he, he got this message that said, a driver needs help delivering your Amazon order. Reply, stop to receiving these texts. Um, and then it said, if you send us your Amazon password or the last two digits of your cell phone number, we'll leave it safely in front of your house today. That was the message that he got. Now, I said to Peter, I... I need to, I need to see the messages, right? So not just to believe them, but to understand it, because it also that two different messages came from very closely incremental numbers, and also the confirmation that his parcel had been delivered came from the same number. So in one message, he got a uh, message saying, "A driver needs your help." Reply: Stop to stop receiving texts. If you send us your Amazon password or the last two digits of your cell phone number, we will leave it safely in front of your house today. And then it said, your order has been delivered. This, this text session will close. Now, I got it really nerdy and I said, mate, can you swipe on that to show me the times? And one of them was received at exactly the same time that Peter's Nest camera said it had been, uh, there'd been a driver there. So it all looked very legit to me, but it didn't look great that Amazon were asking for a password. So I spoke to the people at Amazon, sent them everything, including Peter's call, um, and ask them just to investigate. You know, there was, there's a simple question here. Is this a scam that we need to be looking out for or is this communication from Amazon? Now, I'll, I'll read you the statement and then we'll just talk about what I understand it to be. So this is a statement from Amazon. An Amazon spokesperson um, said this to me. We can confirm that text messages received by the customer were from an Amazon delivery partner. We thank this customer for sharing their experience with us and apologize for any concern caused. We will continue to work with our delivery partners to improve the delivery experience for our customers. End quote. That's the end of the official Amazon statement. So basically what I understand, and you know this, I've done Amazon deliveries. Okay. I've been, I'm a flex partner. Um, I've done driving, but I never did a thousand dollar package where this was required. There were times where I was um, in the order, it said um, special instructions. And so there would, uh, there was one of the, there was a door code. You could type in a code so that I could go inside the apartment block and leave the parcel inside a locked door and then leave again without having to, you know, leave it outside in the public. So there's there's ways to leave door codes, there's da- ways to leave little intricate instructions. But with these expensive deliveries, I assume it would have said to me, first and foremost, you know, there's got to be a real person and they'll have a six-digit code. And it would have, because you scan every step of the way, the app would have showed a uh, entry pad and they would have typed in their code, would have given me a tick, I assume, and I would have handed over the parcel. Now, Here's what I think has happened. And I am completely surmising and assuming here. But I think this delivery driver um, got a message saying the next delivery required a PIN code. And they used the ability, which exists apparently within the app, I've not noticed it, um, to contact the customer to basically say, hey, if, if you can f- confirm this is you, I'll leave the parcel if that's what you want. Because you don't request this password delivery. It just happens by default with $1,000 deliveries. And I'll tell you right now, if if you've done a um, hundred delivery runs with Amazon and you've come across this 10 times, I bet you eight out of 10 times, you've had to return the parcel to the delivery center, which is a headache. 
one. And two, it annoys the customer because they missed the delivery. And, you know, some customers would be like, yeah, cool, it's fine to leave it on the door. I've got cameras or whatever. So I reckon, my guess, is the delivery partner's gone, oh, you know what I'll do? I'll just, I'll use this messaging service. They don't have your phone number, but in the app, they can send you a message. And that message, that's why the text message appears with the statement very clearly that you are a driver needs help from your from delivering your order. And then it says the message, only one note. And so they've probably pasted um, a common um, message that they've used before. And what they meant by, and I'm, I'm surmising here, I'm getting in the head of the, the driver and I've met a few of the drivers and you might have too. So let's be real about it. They're, they're probably trying to communicate what they want to do. If you send us your Amazon password, they don't mean how you log on to amazon.com. They mean the six digit code that you were given to hand over. Okay. That's, that's what you need. And what they're saying is if you send us that, we'll, we'll acknowledge the delivery and we'll put it on your doorstep. Now, what they probably shouldn't be doing that, but they're trying to make sure they can get every delivery done in time, on time, and not upset any customers, right? So that's, I think, what I'm reading between the lines so that Amazon can say they want to improve. They said they'll work continually with delivery partners to improve the delivery experience. I think what they'll do is they'll probably communicate to Amazon Flex customers that they can't reach out and ask people for passwords. A, because the password is confusing. It's a one-time password, not a Amazon password. Uh, and B, you're not meant to do it, okay? So I, I think that that's probably what's happened here. Amazon make it very clear they would never ask for that information as in your Amazon password. Um, they, they hope that people never reply to emails, calls, or texts with personal information. Um, and they also want you to know, because they've sent me some, some info and links, that you can find additional information online to report scams. So amazon.com forward slash report our scam, capital R, capital A, capital S, report our scam um, is a way of reporting scams that you see. So hopefully they learn more from that. Bottom line, Peter, the original caller, you are right to be concerned. It was a very strange scenario. I didn't, I really couldn't have known whether it was a scam or not. And I think we probably, if we both were locking it in for a million dollars, we probably would have gone, it's a scam. But the thing that would have stopped me doing that was how did this scam happen on the day and the time of the delivery? And that's probably why I would have gone, actually, I feel like it's the driver. Because that's the only explanation for the coincidence as we talked about. So there was no coincidence. It was the Amazon delivery partner, their driver. And... I don't think they'll be doing it again. <laughs> um, it's a tough one because everyone's just trying to make it work. And while Peter would have sat there waiting for the parcel, um, other people wouldn't and would be frustrated by their parcel not coming. And I can tell you as a someone who's done the driving, I haven't had to return any parcels back to the delivery center. But I'll tell you right now, that'd be a, that'd be a detour. It probably only cost me 10 minutes, but it would have frustrated the heck out of me. So you can see why they would try and avoid it. But it is a flaw in the flex system. It's a flaw in the you know do-it-yourself system of Amazon delivery drivers. So there you go. That's what happened. That's the explanation. I think it all makes sense. It's not perfect, but it's good that we raised it. And hopefully, Peter, it doesn't happen again. If anyone else is listening and orders something for over a thousand bucks, let us know what exactly happens. There you go. Round that one out. This is the EFTM podcast. EFTM.
Well, we had a call last week, David, who was questioning just mobile service, uh, talking about driving. We talked about cars as well, but we're talking about the mobile network um, on the highways. And it came up also with Luke Boner on Triple M. There was conversations around where we're at with the network. Is the coverage better or worse now than it was, given we've moved essentially to 5G and what's happening with 3G? So not an easy one for people to deal with. And I honestly don't know that it's as easy as just saying it's better or worse, because I think conditions matter. Your phone matters. There's a whole range of uh, implicating factors. So there's only uh, one person to get on to talk about that. And that is the man who builds the network. I mean, not physically, but he's in charge of it for Telstra. Chana Senevaratni and uh, Chana joins me on the line. How are you, mate? I'm good. How are you, Trevor? And I'm very well. Um, let's talk about the caller questions from last week because it was fascinating. And, and I genuinely I wanted to get you on and I wanted to talk to Telstra about it because it's not the first time I've heard it. Do you know what I mean? Like I, sometimes I hear things and I go, yep, cool, whatever. Thank you for your time. Um, but then sometimes you hear things a little bit often and you think, okay, let's, let's get to the bottom of this. So if we talk about someone who has experienced a long drive and noticed big patches or, or patches of network coverage that they don't believe are the same as they used to be, why? What's happening on the highways out there? So if if, if um, coverage has been pretty good and they've been getting good performance, and, and also it depends on, on the use case. I mean, are you making yeah. a voice call or is it a data call? Um, but generally, if, if something has changed, it could be um, as a result of maybe a site that, that uh, was working okay is probably getting a little bit congested. And therefore, you might be um, seeing that impact as you drive through that area. Uh, so that that's a possibility. Uh, and of course, the other one is, I mean, less likely that the site has gone faulty. Mm. In which case, we would have seen that via an alarm, and we would have we'd be going to fix that up. Yeah. But um, you know, if it's if it's something like what was just described, maybe there's a patch of congestion there in, yeah. in a site. Because in the end, we're using our phones very differently to how we were five years ago, let alone three years ago and certainly 10 years ago. So there's there's an adjustment to what we sh what we expect or what we might have known from before. Like it might have been that you only ever made a voice call from, you know, point A to point B and now you're trying to stream Spotify and you didn't realise that there was never data there. Is that I mean, is that possible? Yeah, look, I mean, I think Spotify is probably not a problem, Trevor, it sh or it shouldn't be, because because Spotify, it you should know, generally buffer if someone's <laughs> listened to music, yeah, it should buffer a bit. I mean, Spotify has got a good buffering capability, and, and also it's an audio stream, uh, in, and so it's not really taxing on the network from that perspective. Yeah. Um, however, if, if you are, um, say, trying to use Netflix, of course, not the driver, but the passengers trying to use Netflix and watch a video stream, that's that's probably a use case that's a lot newer than, say, you know, five years ago. Yeah. And, and of course, Netflix and a video stream is more demanding on the network, higher data streams. Help me out with something that I said on the radio, in fact. I don't think I, I was talking about it last week on the podcast, but I, I felt confident in my words and then I, I felt uh, questioned myself when someone who claimed to be a network engineer came on. Um, imagine, uh, I don't know how we do it, but imagine a, a piece of, of highway that goes from one through 10 kilometres um, and the, the tower is at kilometre number one. In 3G mm -hmm. mode, let's say I'm still getting 3G bars at kilometre eight, right? Great, 3G coverage, mm -hmm. excellent. If you, because obviously everything needs to be replaced and upgraded, if, you, if that same tower gets 5G antennas put on it, 
do they still reach mm-hmm. as far as eight or do they maybe only go to seven or six because of the nature of the, the waveform and the, and the frequencies? Right. So, so, so I guess the first thing is that where we have 3G only, yep. right, we are putting 4G in, Trevor. So, so we're not going straight to 5G. Mm-hmm. And, and that's an important point because uh, the 4G that we're putting in is working at even a lower frequency than 3G. So at 700 further. meg versus 850, it'll, it, could, it should go further. It might go to so, mile 10. So, Right, beautiful. Yeah, well, exactly. So, yeah. so there should be no impact at yes, all right. uh, if we put 4G where there was only 3G before. That's important because that's one of the things I think people are seeing. And uh, this is the biggest anecdotal thing I've seen on the networks channel. And, and I'll be honest, it's not you, it's you. I'm seeing it on all of them. I feel like whenever, mm. you're on, whenever you see 3G in the top corner of your phone, unless you want to make mm-hmm. a phone call, good luck. Like it really feels yeah. like it's really hard to use data on 3G now. And um, I guess that's that's a nature of congestion because when there is 3G left, it's probably quite congested, congested because it's, it's, the, it's the last remaining part of the network. Yeah. And, and look, I mean, I, I guess what, what one of the things that we're doing, and of course, as you know, we are shutting down 3G yep. June 30 next year. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and that's why we are putting 4G um, everywhere there's 3G only. We will have absolutely provide 4G to match the 3G footprint before we shut that network off. Um, and as we said, you know, um, it, it, it's working at a lower frequency, uh, particularly in those parts in regional Australia covering highways. Um, in terms of congestion, yes, I mean, look, we, we drive the highways, we monitor the highways on a regular basis. So, uh, you know, we are absolutely addressing places where there are congestion and, and certainly in some sort of well-known places, we have got plans to address that congestion issue on, on 4G. So, uh, so so that's a good thing. Yep. Um, and, um, you know, uh, and, and you know, this G, issue of even, falling... even though we've talked about 5G being the, the be-all and end-all, 4G has more capacity yep. than 3G. So obviously a, 3G, a 4G exactly. replacement of 3G creates capacity in the same way that we've talked about the way you might have a, a lacking capacity through Netflix streaming in a certain area, you're actually adding capacity by simply replacing it with 4G. Absolutely. Uh, spot on there because they are super, both 4G and 5G are superior technologies. They've got better carrying capacity, superior technology. So, yes, and, and we see that actually. When we turn on a 4G site where there was only 3G before, we see there's this, you know, much – bigger spike in data carried. So maybe that speaks to a bit of pent-up demand, mm. but it's because of that superior technology, we, we see it serving that additional capacity demand. When you so, say yeah. uh, the 4G will match the footprint of 3G, is that legit mm. the footprint? I mean, because obviously there's there's numbers and being counted ways of doing things, yep. you know, 97.9% yep. coverage of XYZ. Is it to say that the footprint, so the physical, you know, those maps that we all see on the website when we search coverage, where there used to be 3G, I don't know, let's call it five years ago, if we fast forward to post-3G shutdown, that map will represent the 4G coverage. In fact, probably it will understate it. Yeah, exactly. So we will will provide, so where you see our Telstra maps that says there's 3G coverage, 
we will provide 4G coverage, uh, you know, to match the way we have 3G coverage today. That's about what we call equivalent coverage. Okay. Um, and look, I mean, the thing is that, yes, I mean, uh, you know, we tend to be conservative. So, uh, yes, it could go even beyond that because of the of, of 4G being at a lower frequency. Yeah. Uh, also, we've got, you know, we've got in, we, we have got the capability in 4G as well if you have no obstruction, to turn on what we call the extended capability, and we can get 4G to cover up, up to 200 kilometres, wow. um, you know, compared to, yeah. So, so again, you know, it has to be a place where there's an obstruction, like a, a mountain in front of it, but on flat terrain, you can, it can get out further when we turn that feature on. So 4G's definitely got a lot more smarts in it, you know, uh, that, that, that we are going to be using. Is it weird to be talking about 4G and building 4G towers, uh, even though we're in the midst of a 5G revolution still? Uh, well, no, because what we're actually doing, we're building it smart, right? I mean, the, the latest 4G has got the capability to be software upgradable to 5G. Uh -huh. um, so oh, so right. that's a thing. So the antennas yeah. essentially can stay the same. So the, the capital that you're expending today to do all this work uh, in the future, yeah. it's like a Tesla. It becomes an over-the-air upgrade, essentially. <laughs> yeah, well, yes, pretty similar. I mean, we don't have to visit the site. We can fire up and wow. turn on the 5G capability. And, uh, and, and of course, an important part of shutting 3G down, of course, is that we're going to reuse that low band spectrum and put it onto 5G so that when we, when we turn on and use that, that low band spectrum, 5G can get further out than, than uh, you know, and, and match sort of the 4G coverage. So, so that's the secret to it. You know, Which that's is also why one of the reasons why 3G needs to be turned off, right? You need to reclaim Correct. that spectrum to capitalize yes. on that spectrum through a new technology. So in reality, that engineer was kind of right. It's just in the in the short term, 5G might not reach as far as 3G, but in the long term, because 3G will disappear, it will yep. reach further because it's a lower frequency and, and allows you to push it further. Correct. And and the other the the other part of it in Metro is that because you get this better propagation with 5G at low band, it'll get into buildings better as well, right? And that's something that we want to use it in metro areas when we repurpose that spectrum. How quickly do you repurpose? Because the switch off is mid-year, I'm assuming it's a soft switch off, and then a month later it's a hard switch off and different things. But how quickly do you get to uh, starting to reboot those uh, towers with 5G? Uh yeah, look, I mean, we are putting in place the capability right now, actually. And, and in some places, we've actually been testing. Like, we've got a little bit of um, 3G spectrum that we've taken away, 5 megahertz. And we've actually got sites, uh, I forget the actual number, but it's in the hundreds, where we are actually uh, running 5G at what's called mid-band spectrum, you know, the higher 3.6 gig. Mm -hmm. But it's also running the low-band uh, spectrum at 850, and we're combining the two. So we are already seeing that technology in a few spaces in operation. So what we just need to do is to expand, if you like, the data pipe and to use more of that spectrum when we turn 3G off. So we are well down the track of, of uh, you know, being ready to use that spectrum when we turn it off, Trevor. What does 5G look like at 850? Is it not as fast as it is at the higher frequencies? No. So what we do, Trevor, is we use what a technology called carry aggregation. So we combine that, that, um, that um, you know, the low band 850 with the mid-band spectrum as well, and we get a bigger data pipe. So we are actually adding adding capacity to it, and and we're not at all losing out on it. Yeah. So that's yeah. the secret of this carry aggregation technology. So you, it's kind of interesting because five G was five years old now, isn't it? We talked about that a, a couple of months ago. Yep. It's, yeah. It's yes. it's had a milestone of its own. 
yet it feels like we've still got a really long way to go with its development. Um, so the next couple of years is a big deal for you because obviously the switch off of 3G is is massive, uh, probably not as massive logistically as it is just communication and making sure that people aren't disadvantaged. But you've got that switch off, then you've got the repurposing of that, which will essentially lead to, you could say, almost the completion of the 5G network uh, in its interim you know, form, in its initial form. Obviously, everything grows and changes with different iterations. But is that essentially the next couple of years of work for you and your team? Uh, look, one thing that we are excited about is that, um, you know, as you mentioned, we're shutting 3G down. But as we've indicated before, we are also going to be introducing 5G standalone. And maybe that's another conversation we have, mm. which is, you know, 5G all the way. Uh, so 5G in the radio access network and using the new smart 5G core network, which has got all the intelligence. And, and that's going to be a new phase of activating really smart things like network slicing, which you've probably heard about. Yep. Um, you know, that, that's another, another really exciting new chapter for 5G over the next few years. Let's just quickly wrap up on the highway thing because I uh, there were some great tips, I thought, in terms of people that are listening that are still banging their heads against the wall going, yeah, but the coverage isn't the same. Right. So some basic principles that we can do when we are doing that. And the first one was interesting to me, or the second one, um, keeping your phone above dashboard level. I mean, we got to be real. These things are communicating with the outside world. So throwing it in the glove box or in the cup holder or down on the floor or even sitting on it when you're not using it might be great for avoiding distractions. But if you're trying to get mobile coverage, actually elevating your device is a smart thing to do. It, it absolutely is. And uh, and that, that's something we recommend. So, I mean, we recommend obviously that you look for a blue tick certified device, particularly if you're going a lot into, you know, regional Australia on highways. Mm -hmm. uh, keep, yep, keeping your phone above dashboard is re really important. And, and obviously, if you're going to be doing a lot of travel on highways, you know, why not invest in one of our Telstra Tigo repeaters, um, you know, which then boosts the signal using a repeater technology. That's another one as well that, that uh, you know, your customers and your listeners could uh, opt for. Now, I'm not going to lie, that communication was the first time I've ever heard the term Tigo, but I've just had a look. Um, yep. Is it is it self I go, but just sold and, and branded by Telstra? Is that what it is, or is it a different company, different brand, different product? It it, it, it is. So we we resell it. Um, yeah. it. It is a self I yeah. Yeah. And, so we've talked about those a, in the past. People that live in regional areas, people that travel Western Australia, yep. amazing technology. Not it's not something you you do for giggles, as you say. You want to be really out there doing it, but because you're Telstra smart thing is your Telstra customer, you're doing this as a, a monthly thing. So you can, instead of having a, a large investment up front, which is what they are, let's be real. Um, you can have one of these um, equipped to your car on a, on a monthly plan, which allows you to pay off that price. So if you are genuinely out on the road and truckies are the best example of that, right? Um, you're moving. I mean, let's use that highway 10, 10 kilometers of highway example. If you go from high, uh, kilometer one through 10 and there's this there's just this little dip spot in high, in in mile five or kilometer five. Um, the Tigo would theoretically just elevate that a little bit so that you're actually moving from one to the other, perhaps without that disruption. It's no guarantees, but it certainly just adds that bar of coverage essentially. Absolutely, uh, and and you can augment it even a little bit further if you put an external antenna on your roof or your bull bar. Right. That can give you a little bit more um, uh, signal boost as well. So uh, highly recommended. 
I can just imagine what the big bull bar on the Telstra test vehicle looks like. <laughs> you know, how how far can we go in, until we lose the network coverage? Because in the end, yeah, yeah. We, we have to acknowledge that you, and I'm not saying this because you're on the line. I think it's it's really important to note. Um, I, I wrote an article the other week about how um, – it's great that we have such great networks. And I genuinely mean networks. Uh, Telstra, Optus, and TPG have big, wide, expansive networks that cover a nation that is 77 times larger than South Korea, yet we have speeds on 5G that are comparable to those kind of places. You know, we do we do a lot with a little in terms of population, don't we, Chana? Oh, we do. It, I mean, you know, and, and it's it's awesome, right, in terms of all of us in what we do. And, you know, we, we, we may be small, but we actually do a lot around technology leadership, uh, you know, leading the way globally in terms of the sort of world first and stuff like that. So, yeah, we should be very proud of what we do in Australia. Good on you, Chana. I appreciate you uh, jumping on the line. Um, you know, people people have questions. That's it's it's good to be able to just give some context around things. It's not going to solve people's problems overnight, but I think those tips are a great way for people to get through. And look, if you're trucking on the road, that's that's genuinely the way to go. And otherwise, I think the point is, you know, you should be I don't know jumping on the online chat and just letting them letting Telstra know where you see these things and the other networks, because if you don't know, you don't know. Um, is that part of the plan, part of the problem as well, Chana? Yeah, look, I mean, exactly. We, we want to hear from our customers, right? Because when we hear from them, that, that allows us to go and address those specific issues. You know, as you said, we're constantly monitoring and we are addressing, you know, there's a number of projects that are on, on, on the books this financial year to address some of those congestion problems. But, you know, having that good customer data and information helps us as well. It helps us triangulate to, to a, a more precise uh, plan of action. Good on you, mate. Chana Senevaratni, I appreciate your time. You're a hardworking man with a big job and a big network and uh, you're getting it done day by day, mate. I appreciate you jumping on the blower. Thanks, Trevor. Thanks for having me. It might sound crazy what I'm about to say But Trevor Long's the world's best techie Father's Day for everyone because I've got great new merch. It's all arrived, but I can't put it on the EFTM store. Because if I put it up there now, your orders will come through and I can't fulfill them until the end of September, mid-September. So I'm not going to put them up there until later. I'm going to put them up when we can actually send them out. Um, hats have arrived, two versions. Um, I'm going to call one Racing Stripes and the other one I'm going to call Black Tie. That's what I think. I've got to remember that now. Uh, and and if you're desperate, we've got some great new lanyards. Uh, lanyard, you know, brand new neck for your uh, work pass. And stubby holders. They're cool. They're simple. Um, I assume they'll be cheap. I can't remember what I paid for them, but I'll work it out. Um, anyway, all of that will go up in uh, mid-September. So how about you start putting some money aside now? That's what I'm saying. Okay? Put some money aside now 
And in late September, it'll be great cash flow for the business. Because <laughs> times are tough right now, okay? So cash flow is king and it's killing me right now. Um, so, yeah, I probably should put them up now and just get the kids to fulfill them or something while I'm away. But I just fear that going wrong. So you'll have to wait. But new hats have arrived. They are seriously my favorite ever. They're the best hats we've ever done. If you want to stand out, the racing stripes looks great just for something subtle. I'm really, really proud of the the um, black tie because it doesn't say EFTM all over it. It's just a nice little patch on the back and the logo without the letters on the front. I think it looks really good. I'm <laughs> Maybe I'm overstating it, but I'm really happy with it because I think it's a hat people will wear without feeling like they're advertising. Do you know what I mean? Like that's what I want it to be. I want it to be more like you feel part of the family. I mean, all my kids are wearing EFTM hats and their mates too, so why shouldn't you? Can't give them away because they cost me a lot of money. But let's, uh, yeah, that'll come at, at the end of um, at the end of September. So shop.eftm.com will update with all that info, which will be really really cool. Um, but yeah, apologies for not getting that done before I go away. It's just been, it's been, it's been a couple of months, right? It's been pretty full on. So I appreciate you having some patience with me on that one. Um, anyway, I'll be back in a few weeks. Uh, in the meantime. Jump over to the Two Bikes Talking Tech feed if you're not already over there. You'll get regular podcasts from Stephen and I. You'll get Stephen's podcast. You'll get the movie podcast uh, and even the gibberish for Stephen and I just chatting about life and rubbish and the things we do. Uh, it's all over there. So there's always something to keep your ear holes happy. And Sizzletown's also there with Stephen, with uh, Tony Martin. So enjoy Sizzletown. Just subscribe to some random podcasts. Give me podcast suggestions. I'm still yet to find many that I like to listen to, but um, – Hey, if you've got podcast suggestions, eftm.com, click Ask Trev. Let's talk about them so other people can learn. Let's share the love. And um, keep an eye on the EFTM YouTube channel and Facebook page. We're going to try and do one video podcast with Stephen and I before we go away. Um, Otherwise, hopefully late September, we'll start pumping out Two Blokes Talking Tech as a video podcast. And I would welcome your views on that. All right, that's it. Wrapped. And uh, I'll see you uh, in a few weeks. But, of course, you can follow me on socials um, all the time. Uh, Trevor Long on X, Trevor Long AU on threads and Insta, uh, Trevor Long on Facebook, the Man Cave, EFTM Man Cave on Facebook, uh, Trevor Long on TikTok. I mean, even I'm exhausted just thinking about it. Anyway, thank you for getting in touch. Thank you for listening. Thank you for downloading. I'll talk again soon. (laughs) 